Good morning. You're listening to Breakfast Bites, and I'm Felicia King. Today's show, we're going to talk about necessary levels of email security, how Facebook received a patent for shadow banning, and Amazon Ring is selling home surveillance to police, and potentially another uh, little interesting kind of local story if there's time. Let's first start off with uh, necessary levels of email security. I think a lot of people are completely misinformed about what's necessary to have in terms of email security these days. They still seem to think that uh, G Suite or Google Mail and any of these other providers that are offering a free service have adequate security. And the answer is no, they can't possibly have adequate security because what they're doing is they are engineering a solution that is to the lowest common denominator. Do they have some security? Sure, they have some security, but they are providing a service either at no cost or extremely low cost to people. So if you have a Gmail account, Yahoo, an AT&T account, uh, Spectrum, I mean, I don't really care who you're getting it from, unless it is a business class email service where you are paying for a security service layer on that, then I can pretty well guarantee it's inadequate security. I still see people running their businesses on what are just completely garbage local providers where, I mean, it's not even like an exchange server. It's just uh, pop three email stuff gets uh Uh, downloaded to their PC and to Outlook, nothing is backed up and there's really no um, network layer or email layer sort of security. With regards to email, you have to understand that there are two primary ways in which people are getting hacked these days. Number one is uh, via the internet, of course, meaning you interact with something on the internet and This then um, hacks your computer. And unless you have the entire cybersecurity kill chain set up in terms of layered network security, then most likely that attack is going to be successful. The other huge vector is email. So the reason for this is because email is a way to get to your mobile device. It gets to you through a website. It gets to you through a desktop client like Outlook. And there are a lot of people that are way too much erring on the side of openness because they say, well, we don't want to miss any emails from anybody really for any reason. And so they, instead of taking an approach that says, okay, let's just have things that are suspicious go into a quarantine and be comfortable with that and say that we are going to give end users access to the quarantine where they can look in the quarantine anytime they want and see if there's actually something legit in there. And if there is, then the end users can convey that information to IT who then can evaluate it and make the appropriate adjustments. And of course, in a very short order, the system ends up getting programmed. And I've seen this approach work for basically more than two decades. And that approach works very well. It is a concept called whitelisting. And 
it's, it's also a concept of saying, let's have security by default. What I've seen in 25 years of this industry is if you try to go in with a system, whether it be email, servers, network security, I mean, I don't really care what it is. If you try to go in with a open implementation and then try to implement security later, then things are going to be broken and the vast, and I mean nine, more than 98% of IT people out there do not have the courage to even lock that stuff down after the fact. And they oftentimes are lacking support from executive management because executive management by and large doesn't care about security, they only care about adverse business impact. So the only approach that actually works is one where when the system is implemented initially, it is implemented in a rigorously secure fashion. And during the testing phases and the initial implementation components, then those interactions with the end users and other stakeholders reveal what the other configuration, let's say, uh, loosenings need to be. So for example, maybe you have a business partner that you need to just whitelist all the emails from their particular domain. So those are some general concepts there, and those are incredibly useful concepts, and those are universally applicable to pretty much everything having to do with technology is that you should always go in secure by default, but very few people have the courage to do so, which is why there are so many problems out there in systems. So in terms of uh, email layer security, you literally have to have security at the email la layer. You can't be thinking that your network layer security is going to do it for you. You can't be thinking that your endpoint protection is going to do it for you. It doesn't. You have to be plugging a security module directly into the email server itself. What it should be doing is scanning all of the content at the email server layer and not even delivering it to you as the end user until it has been scanned. It should be looking for things like naughty content, whether it be content that does not match the HR policies of the organization, or it could be naughty content because it's deemed to be malicious garbage. So this includes things like taking URLs that are embedded in those emails and launching those URLs on a um, sandboxed virtual server and finding out what the ramifications of that URL being launched is. And this is what's called detonation analysis. So they basically take this virtual machine in the cloud and run that URL on it and find out does running that URL on that virtual machine in the cloud, does it attempt then to hack or infect that machine? This is an incredible piece of technology and it's also incredibly effective. If you have really good security as well, you can completely eliminate spoofing issues. And spoofing is a huge problem. It's a massive way in which the bad guys these days are bypassing spam filters. 
they are using using spoofing and this really started back in like february this year i saw it just skyrocket and we had to really dramatically change um, the way that we were doing things to harden them even more because of all of the spoofing that was going on and of course those then hardening efforts uh, resulted in a tremendous positive impact in terms of saying no more spoofing events. It was roundabout at the same exact time that Microsoft also increased their capabilities for spoofing analysis and spoofing detection inside of Office 365, but you still have to actually turn it on, and the only way you can turn it on is if you have advanced threat protection. So again, it goes back to this thing I said, you have to have a specific email security module. So credential phishing tactics are also huge. Part of these credential phishing tactics are able to be protected against by utilizing some of these advanced email security solutions. And some of them really just come straight down to end user education. So there's a product that Trend Micro has that's called Fish Insight. So that's P-H-I-S-H, which is what how you spell phishing. Uh, so it's Fish Insight, and they're they've been offering a really nice plugin for Office 365, which I've been using. And <laughs> literally in the last like 60 days here, I haven't even gotten a single phishing attempt through the advanced threat protection analysis engine, uh, though it is customized with my own rule set. So unfortunately, I haven't been able to actually report a phishing email to the Fish Insight system. But the Phishing Insight system is really cool in that not only does it allow you to have a suspicious email reporting mechanism, but it also allows an organization to launch simulated uh, phishing attacks against their own organization. So if you wanted to find out how many of your end users needed training and then uh, give them access to that training, then this would be a fantastic tool. Microsoft does have their own module for that as well, but I've evaluated both of them side by side and Trend Micro's module for this is phenomenally better. I mean, it's it's probably 500% better than Microsoft's tool for it. And the Microsoft tool is not very user-friendly. It's really intended to be utilized only by people like myself. It's not even really intended to be used by IT managers. And then there's the business email compromise types of threats. And these are um, basically things that are going to install garbage on your computer that then does credential hacking and it will put maybe ransomware on your computer or a command and control device. It will steal credentials and then uh, backhaul them back to the bad guys and then they can get into your bank accounts. So for years I've been recommending that people either use a very, very hardened system where they've got the entire full cybersecurity kill chain in effect, or they uh, utilize completely isolated, much more secured computers for their banking stuff, and they can't do email on it and things like that.
this would require a an organization to have whoever their person is that's handling bank payments basically uh, to have a second computer now there certainly are some business banks that have a product like uh, positive pay as an example but they are expensive and if the credentials for the bank account have been compromised then uh, positive pay isn't going to really protect you from those issues so uh, then there's, of course, fileless threats. And these fileless threats, in my view, are the thing that is the biggest blind spot that's existing right now. And unless people are utilizing really, really cutting edge, deeply layered detection and threat prevention systems, they are probably right now having fileless malware on their systems. I mean, we're literally in the age now where malware can get installed into the registry on a computer so that every time it uh, boots up, every time the computer boots up, the malware starts again. Now, if you're thinking, oh, well, we used to have that. Well, that's not actually true. In the past, what we would have is files that would be on the computer that maybe would auto-generate the file name. They would be uh, self-spawning malware that would also uh, put in a, a call in the registry for auto-run and startup. Um, that isn't how this fileless malware works. The fileless malware works such that it's actually loading the hash for the entire application into the registry. So it's not calling a file that's on the computer it's actually the entire chunk of malware is inside the registry. And it can do things such as create persistence where it will hijack an otherwise legitimate process uh, such as PowerShell or Microsoft Word, you know, something like that. So if you care anything at all about security and you don't have the entire NIST SP-800 cybersecurity kill chain combined with the Lockheed Martin strategy for such things, then I would say you've got inadequate security and you've got an unrealistic expectation about being able to browse the internet, do email and things like that while not being affected. Yeah, speaking of that, there's another related kind of topic to that, which is I've read a lot about people who are, what businesses are buying what's called cyber risk insurance. And so I did a bunch of research into this, and what I basically found is that the insurance agents are not being trained by the insurance companies about what a business has to do in order to actually have a successful claim for cyber risk insurance. Now, the reason that this is so critical is because if you've paid for cyber risk insurance, which is not cheap, 
and you have done nothing with regards to being able to prove that your organization was compliant with the terms and conditions of the cyber risk insurance policy, then you will have just taken all that money and lit it on fire because there won't be any successful claim. I mean, you're not going to be paid by the insurance company. So simply buying a cyber risk insurance policy does, I mean, it does nothing, okay? It really does nothing. Instead, the only approach that's successful is to have an automated monthly uh, or at least quarterly full assessment process that produces re reports that tell you where the problems are in your environment. And this isn't a panacea. You still need to have somebody who uh, can analyze things that can't be reported upon in an automated fashion. So that would be somebody like myself as an example. But anyways, you need to basically have a, a regularized assessment process that produces reports, gaps are identified, and then you have to go and close those security gaps. So simply buying cyber risk insurance does diddly squat. And I'm not you know, saying anything bad about the insurance agents that are out there, they haven't been educated at all about the insurance companies and, uh, or by the insurance companies about these issues. And which is why what we're basically seeing is the vast, like something like 98% of cyber risk insurance claims are being denied. And it's because the insurance companies really don't want the insurance agents or the brokers to know about this stuff and the brokers and the agents want to sell the product so they can get their commission. Nobody is actually telling the policyholder that, well, it's all fine and good that you buy this policy, but unless you go and do all these other things and have this as an ongoing component of your business plan, then, you know, there's never ever going to be any payout. Now, here's the interesting component of this entire thing, I can make an incredibly persuasive argument that if you simply had the assessment process and you had a gaps analysis closure, so a gap closure process, if you simply engaged in these things, you don't need cyber risk insurance. In fact, I think cyber risk insurance is a complete flaming waste of money unless you have already done all of the prerequisites. And the prerequisites, as I said, are inclusive of having an ongoing, uh, consistent evaluation assessment process that's automated, that produces results, and you have intelligent humans who are going to look at those reports and say, aha, something has changed in our environment. Even though we were all wonderful before, something has changed. We need to get this gap closed. And now imagine a situation where you have a cyber risk event and the last report that you had was from six months ago. I mean, do we really think the insurance company is going to think that nothing changed in your environment in the last six months? I mean, that's obviously just bullpucky. I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all because even just simply software patches are coming out multiple times per month. So unless you can really truly demonstrate a situation where you have a 
fully automated either that or an extremely rigorous process to always be keeping everything up to date all the time uh that and then they believe you and then the insurance company believes you on top of that then that six month old report does nothing so uh you know when you talk to people in the industry what they're basically going to tell you is that it environments change all the time so your only hope of having any sort of a viable payout in a cyber risk event in the case that you actually do have cyber risk insurance is if you already have closed all the security gaps you have all the protocols and procedures in place to maintain those gaps in a closed fashion and you've got all of the documentation that is specific to what the insurance carrier needed to prove it to them that that was the case <laughs> yeah so i think you can kind of get the uh you know get get a handle on the fact that the bar is pretty darn high and i I just would like to see a little more intellectual honesty in the market uh, about these things because I keep hearing people talking about cyber risk insurance, but they never talk about the things that I just told you. Now, they're either you know, doing that because they don't know or simply because um, they are choosing to not disclose those facts. Either way, uh, the goal for you is to be an informed decision maker. So there are uh, tons of these uh, techniques and file types that are being utilized to evade detection. And I got, a whole, I got off onto this whole cyber risk insurance thing because this is something that, you know, insurance agents are basically telling businesses that, hey, you can, you know, we can help insure you against these uh, issues. So, you know, if you get hacked via email, uh, then, you know, we can cover it. And it's just not really that true. Uh, the cost of the insurance plan is significantly more than just simply the cost of uh, what a an extremely effective top tier email security product would be. I mean, I think if last time I looked at the pricing for a cyber risk insurance policy, uh, the price for that policy was more than what the cost would be for adequate email security and adequate annual patching and uh, adequate um, server security uh, and, and certainly perimeter network layer security, you know, all the network layer security that you need. So that's the interesting thing. If somebody was just willing to write a check annually for proactive management services as opposed to well, let's send it to the insurance company. <laughs> then they would have already closed all of those gaps to uh, such a degree uh, that it would have been a better spend. Uh, that it, that's not um, that's not perfection. Obviously, you really are never going to achieve perfection. You can only get close to it, and you can only get close to it if you also couple uh, all of the things I said with an assessment process. And I don't know why this is such a hard concept for a lot of people because, you know, they've been doing um, accounting system audits for decades and decades and decades and decades. I mean, there there were probably accounting system audits going on um, two thousand years ago, you know. Uh, so that's that's certainly not a new concept. 
So why is it that, uh, you know, IT assessments, uh, which is a type of audit, is something that's a hard concept? And before I get off of that topic, it's just, I don't, I don't see much value in hiring an accounting firm that has like an IT consulting division wing to come in and do some sort of like IT audit for you. I have participated in those on both sides of the spectrum. So either on the receiving side or the, the auditor side. And I don't find those processes to be that effective simply because I have yet to ever encounter a, uh, an accounting firm that actually has anyone on staff that has the cybersecurity talent and the systems engineering talent to be able to do anything other than a cursory review of what's there and um, to be able to actually find the gaps. Uh, but that's not that unusual because I could point to a lot of consulting firms and say the same thing. So anyways, buyer beware with regards to uh, audit services. So there's uh, a, this huge element of file type abuse uh, being used to evade detection. And this is because this whole signature-based detection stuff is just its a dead strategy. I'm not saying you shouldn't have it, but thinking that that is going to give you protection is a dead strategy. So we're going back to this concept of the security layer has to plug directly into the email system, and it has to look at all the contents of the email there and do very sophisticated things with it such as here's this attachment let me take this attachment and put it into a virtualized server in the cloud and detonate that file and we call it detonate because we're expecting potentially some malicious thing to happen so that file is opened and then um, potential detonation happens and one of the reasons that the bad guys are, are now utilizing uh, funky file formats like ARJ and IQY, they're just using these funky file formats is because less sophisticated email security systems have done something dumb, which is what's called a... Uh, a narrow attempt at security, formerly called blacklisting. I mean, we don't really call it blacklisting anymore, but it, it's really a, uh, a very narrow approach where instead of identifying, uh, instead of saying, okay, we want to be secure by default and we only want to make allowances for the things that we really trust, no, instead this uh, narrow approach is saying, well, we're only going to do things like block executable files. And so it's a specification of negatives instead of a specification of positives. And the approach of the specification of negatives leads you completely wide open to things you didn't anticipate that needed to be specified. Uh, right. And, and I can tell you from experience, because uh, I've had to write policies that I would call uh, profanity spam blocking approaches. In fact, we've got a uh, proprietary profanity spam blocking system that we developed that uh, our clients use that is, yeah, it's incredibly effective. 
And the system does not lead anyone to ever actually lose any legitimate email either. Because basically all the bad doo-doo gets to go into a holding container bucket where certain individuals are able to review that content and then decide, well, do we want to keep that? And this also does not remove any of the other security scanning for the email. So that also goes, right? I mean, so all of you, you still have all your malware protection and so forth. This is just another layer of evaluation that says, okay, we've, we've got an HR policy that says we don't want to see any emails that have any content that includes these words or these phrases. And, and if they do, <clears throat> then we need to put that stuff into this mailbox where the content is going to be reviewed by appropriate personnel. Now, there's a lot of organizations that I think would benefit from such a policy because it's not a good thing to be having your employees be the recipient of profanity spam and then thinking that they are getting sexually harassed or you know any number of issues like that. So <clears throat> if if you don't have a really full, complete, defense-in-depth email security solution, then, well, give me a call. Let's talk about it. I'd be happy to uh, talk to you about it and see, uh, even be able to give you just an opinion on what it is that you're currently using and whether or not it's adequately effective. Well, that's all for today's show.